welcome to the 16th episode of Snippets. I am Dr. Ashna Doshi, second year DNB ophthalmology resident at Shankar Nitralaya Chennai. And hi, I am Dr. Hanav Kordhilo, a pediatric ophthalmology fellow at Shankar Nitralaya. Today, we will be discussing all you need to know about amblyopia. We would like to thank Dr. Menakshi Swaminathan ma'am for guiding us with this talk. Why this topic is relevant is because amblyopia is the most important cause of decreased vision in childhood. It is derived from the Greek words amblyos, meaning dull, and opia, meaning eye, signifying dullness of vision. It is defined as a unilateral or a bilateral decrease in the best corrected visual acuity due to vision deprivation or abnormal binocular interaction, leading to abnormal cortical visual development during a critical period for which no other organic cause can be identified. Let us now discuss the pathomechanisms behind this entity. The pathomechanisms that have been identified in causing amblyopia are vision deprivation and abnormal binocular interaction leading to cortical suppression of the image. Visual development occurs by changes in the retinocortical connections up to 8 years of age which depend on adequate visual stimuli for maturation. Equal visual experience in both eyes is essential for synaptogenesis and segregation of ganglia into laminae of the lateral geniculate body. It is also responsible for the development of receptive fields in the cortex and normal binocular responses. In case of monocular deprivation, it is seen that the cortical cell connections are usurped by the normal eye and the cortical ocular dominance columns of the amblyopic eye shrink, with the corresponding lateral geniculate body cells being smaller. This competition is entirely reversible in the initial periods of plasticity. This is why amblyopia should be corrected in this critical period when therapy is maximally effective. The risk factors for amblyopia include premature birth, small for gestational age babies and a developmental delay. A positive family history of amblyopia or strabismus should also be kept in mind while eliciting the history. Let us now discuss how amblyopia is classified on the basis of etiology. Strabismic amblyopia is more commonly seen in esotropias. It occurs due to cortical suppression that degrades the neuronal connections to the deviated eye. We should remember that alternating strabismus does not cause amblyopia. Anisometropic amblyopia is caused by undercorrected and unequal refractive errors between the two eyes, which causes one image on the retina to be chronically defocused. Hyperopic anisometropia is more amblyogenic. A difference of refractive error of greater than 1.5 diopters in hyperopia greater than 3 diopters in myopes and greater than 1.5 diopters for astigmatism can cause unilateral image blur and subsequent suppression. Sensory deprivation amblyopia from media opacity such as cataract, corneal opacity or ptosis lead to lack of foveal stimulation during the critical period resulting in amblyopia. Ametropic amblyopia is seen in bilateral high refractive errors of more than 5 diopters of hypermetropia or more than 2.5 diopters of astigmatism leading to bilateral blur images without cortical suppression. Organic causes of amblyopia such as macular pathologies or optic atrophy are independent of the sensory output and do not reverse with therapy. They should be differentiated from functional amblyopia. Having discussed the types of amblyopia, let us now discuss how to establish a diagnosis. Amblyopia is a diagnosis of exclusion characterized by a two-line interocular difference on any visual acuity table or a best-directed visual acuity of less than 6 by 9. 
Recorded vision of less than 6.15 at 3 years to 6.12 at 5 years also falls under the ambit of amblyopia. We should rule out causes of visual deprivation by the following tests. The red reflex test to identify media opacities such as cataract, torch right reflex or the Hirschberg test, cover-uncover test to aid in the diagnosis of ocular misalignment or squint. Bruckner's test is a good screening for squint in infants. Fixation behavior and visual acuity test raise suspicion of poor vision and a subsequent cycloplegic refraction confirms the refractive error and its nature. Visual acuity testing by single optotype chart helps to eliminate crowding phenomenon and aids in establishing the diagnosis of amblyopia. In amblyopia, visual acuity for single letter optotypes is better than linear acuity and indicates the true visual potential of the eye. It is also essential to perform stereo acuity testing to test for binocular function. A routine detailed ocular examination, including pupillary reactions, ocular motility, followed by a cycloplegic refraction and dilated fundus evaluation is a must. Once we have established a diagnosis of amblyopia, we manage a patient based on the evidence-based guidelines that were formulated by the amblyopia treatment studies which were conducted by the Pediatric Eye Disease Investigators Group. A total of 17 amblyopia treatment studies have been conducted till date. We will be discussing conclusions from a few landmark ones. The ATS-1 aimed to compare patching to penalization with atropine for moderate amblyopia in children aged 3 to less than 7 years. ATS-1 concluded that atropine or patching for 6 months under regular follow-up for 2 years reduced similar improvement of moderate amblyopia. The ATS-2 was conducted in two parts, 2A and 2B. The main objective of ATS-2A was to compare full-time patching, that is all hours, to 6 hours of patching per day for severe amblyopia in children younger than 7 years. It concluded that part-time occlusion was as effective as full-time occlusion. ATS-2B compared 2 hours versus 6 hours of daily patching as treatment for moderate amblyopia in less than 7 years of age. They concluded that 2 hours of occlusion was as beneficial as 6 hours of occlusion. The ATS-3 was conducted to evaluate the treatment of amblyopia therapy in children from 7 to 17 years. They concluded that optical correction alone improved amblyopia in about one-fourth of the children. For patients aged 7 to 12 years, prescribing 2 to 6 hours of patching per day with near visual acuities could improve visual acuity even if the amblyopia had been previously treated. For older patients between 13 to 17 years, prescribing patching of 2 to 6 hours per day with near-visual acuities may improve the visual acuity when amblyopia has not been previously treated. ATS-5 was conducted to evaluate the effectiveness of refractive correction alone for the treatment of untreated anisometropic amblyopia in children from 3 to 7 years of age. Refractive correction alone improved visual acuity in many cases and resulted in resolution of amblyopia in at least one-third of this cohort. A second part to ATS-5 concluded that patching for two hours along with refractive correction modestly improved moderate to severe amblyopia. The main objective of ATS-6 was to determine whether performing near activities while patching for amblyopia enhances the improvement in visual acuity. It led to the conclusion that performing common near visual acuities does not result in any additional visual acuity improvement. ATS-10 concluded that Bangerter filters resulted in similar improvement such as patching when instituted as initial therapy for moderate amblyopia. 
ATS-11 looked into whether combined therapy of patching and atropine helped in recovering the vision in residual amblyopia, but the results were not very favorable. A more recent ATS-17 aimed to look into the efficacy of medical treatment with levodopa in the treatment of amblyopia, but favorable results were not observed in monotherapy. These ATS do provide for good results in anisometropic amblyopia and strabismic amblyopia. However, a more aggressive form of therapy should be undertaken for stimulus deprivation amblyopia. Once the normal visual acuity is achieved, a patient needs to be monitored for a period of at least one year with a gradual taper of occlusion to prevent relapse. Another modality to treat amblyopia is penalization. The objective is to blur the image in the sound eye in order to force the amblyopic eye to take up fixation. Optical penalization is done by placing plus lenses in front of the normal eye in order to force the amblyopic eye to fixate for distance. If frosted glasses are used, the child may look over the top of the glass to use his sound eye and this should be looked out for. This works well for mild amblyopia. Pharmacological penalization with atropin is useful even in dense amblyopia. 0.5 to 1% atropin drops are instilled in the sound eye and the amblyopic eye is given full optical correction to take up fixation. It requires a hypermetropia of plus 3 diopters or more in the sound eye to cause enough blur to switch fixation. Children younger than 4 years of age should be closely monitored for decreased vision in the previously normal eye. This phenomena is known as reverse amblyopia. Side effects of atropine to look out for include light sensitivity, flushing, tachycardia, dry mouth, irritability, headache and seizures. Surgical management is to be considered in cases of media opacity such as dense central cataracts, vitreous hemorrhage, ptosis obscuring visual axis or corneal opacities. Strabismus surgery is usually performed once the visual acuity is equal in both eyes with a freely alternating fixation. We hope this talk helped improve your understanding of this topic. Kindly fill the feedback form attached in the link below. For next week's episode, we have a talk on orbital implants by Dr. Radhika Sriram. Thank you.